catalog and cocktails. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Here's your hosts, Juan Cicada and Tim Gasper. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails. This is a weekly live hangout, an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, Director of Product at Data.World and longtime data nerd, and joined by Juan. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada. I'm the Principal Scientist here at Data.World. And as always, it is middle of the week, middle of the day, or end of the day, and great to pause and chat about data. And today we have, uh, I think, the name that I hear almost every other day of my life right now. Uh, Shamak Tigani is the Director of Emerging Technologies for ThoughtWorks and the founder of the Data Mesh concept. If you have not heard about Data Mesh and or not heard about Shamak and her, na- her name or her Data Mesh does not come up, you have literally been living under a rock. So <laughs> I'm super excited to be able to spend time here talking with Shamak and you, Tim. So Shamak, nice to see you. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Welcome, Shamak. Thank you. Good to see you too. I have to uh, disappoint. I, I don't drink and it's 2 p.m. in uh, San Francisco, so I'm drinking a mushroom coffee. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no worries. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Well, quick reminders. Uh, hey, please give us your review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. And also to let you know that we are partnering with the Knowledge Graph Conference, which is taking place May 3rd to the 6th. It's a, and we're going to have a special edition of Catalog and Cocktails, where I will be moderating the data architecture panel with Zimak, who's going to be on the panel together with Teresa Tung from Accenture, JU from Intuit, and uh, Mohammed Osser from McKenzie. Uh, you can go to knowledgegraph.tech and with the special 10% discount code is CCKGC. So with that, let's uh, our tell and toast. What are we uh, drinking and what are we toasting for? Shamak, we know you're drinking mushroom coffee. What is that? I have never had mushroom coffee. It's uh, some potion. I drink the Four Sigmatic guys. It's just uh, some, some uh, Northern European potion of uh, mushroom that give you superpowers. This particular one is supposed to make me smarter. So you can be the judge of that by the end of this. Ooh, <laughs> I want some tea that makes me smarter. That sounds good. <laughs> How about you, Tim? Um, I am drinking a whiskey smash. I, I got a, a way too much mint growing in the backyard. So it's basically like lemon and whiskey and simple syrup. And I got some, uh, some backyard mint in here all smashed together. So Well, I'm having a a nice uh, margarita and I do want to go toast a special toast today. Uh, We have been, I think this is episode 44 and uh, we have uh, so many people behind the scenes at catalog at data.world who helps us to go produce uh, catalog and cocktails. And one of those is our really good friend and colleague, Sean Schweco, who is going to be going off to his next adventure, but we would not be able to pull everything that we do with catalog and cocktails without him. So this is a, a toast to Sean. Sean, thank you so much for everything. I know you're listening, so thank you so much. Cheers, Sean. Yeah. You're destined for great things. Thanks so much for all you've done for us. Really appreciate it. And we also have our warm-up question. So it's uh, our, our fun question here. Inspiring architectural designs outside the data space. So let's not talk about data architectures. Talk about some other architectures. So like real architecture. <clears throat> I'm going to go out, <laughs> outside of even technology. Um I would refer to uh, the work of a female architect, building architect, Zaha Hadid. She's, I think she had a Middle Eastern background, I think Lebanese background, if I'm not mistaken. 
but she has this beautiful organically influenced um, kind of commercial spaces and living spaces architectures. And actually she's no longer with us. She passed very, very young. Um, so her work has been inspiring for me. That's awesome. I, I actually, have, I'm not familiar with her work. I, I've got to check that out. That's How about awesome. you, Tim? You know, um, I don't know a ton about architecture, but I'll tell you about architectural designs that I like lately. Um, you know, I really like um, when you take traditional architecture and you blend it with like new and modern architecture. And lately I've been looking at some house designs where like the core house is there, right? And you've got like, whether it's a Tudor style house or a colonial or things like that, but then you actually have parts of the house which are, which are modern, you know, and maybe are a little boxier or a little have interesting angles and things like that. And uh, I don't know, I think that's cool. I think you can make that work and blend it together. That's, that's really awesome. That, that's my little architectural insight for today. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Ikea and I just love seeing these, uh, they, they, they set up their the the little kind of living spaces of 200 mm. meters and stuff like that. I think that's kind of great, cool design. But anyways, let's dive into the discussion of what we're here for. So honest, no BS. Honest, no BS. What is a data mesh and what is not a data mesh? Let's mm. kick off with that. All right. So um, data mesh is an approach. It's, it's, it's not a thing. It's an approach for designing, architecting your um, big analytical data management based on a decentralized architecture and governing that architecture based on a federated and computational governance. But it has to also address the concern of how do you do that efficiently and effectively? So it also talks about the foundational infrastructure that you have to put in place. So it's, that's why it confuses people because it started as an architectural paradigm in managing big data and analytics um, kind of data architecture, but it had to go further and become more <laughs> to not create a mess. So it also addresses how to think about the architecture of infrastructure in that space and how to think about your organizational structure in that space and how to think about governance of that. Um, that's the paradigm. And you can apply it using different technologies to your organization. And it doesn't try to be prescriptive about what technology to use, even though I am very opinionated about that. But data mesh isn't. I love that. And we want to definitely go into those, into the opinions and see where, I mean, I have my opinions too. This is going to be the interesting thing is how much we align and we don't align. So let, let's start with the kind of on the technology side then. Um, what are the, the, so one of the key things that you just brought up there for me, the message was it is, it is an approach and it's about decentralization. So what are the technologies that you're seeing kind of at, at a high level that need to be involved inside of a data mesh? Yeah. And I have to disappoint you, disappoint here because I can't really call out any specific technologies that fits perfectly, but there are complementary technologies that we can use. Well, let's, and, let, 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 I mean, let me pause there for a second. And this is one of the things that I, I, I we were talking, we were, we were talking before about this is I, I call BS when people say, well, I have, here's my product and here's my one-stop shop that does a data mesh. And people are starting to go say that. And I'm like, no, I mean, the whole point of the data mesh is that there isn't a one thing like there's a different ways and you decide which one you want to go bring in you don't That's buy a data mesh right you don't, you don't buy a data mesh nobody's going to go off and say hey are you looking for a data mesh like i don't think so 
Well, that's my perspective. What do you, what do you think? I mean, are, are we on the same page here or? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, if you think about this as an ecosystem, right, you need to have first a set of standards and a set of conventions that we agree upon as an interfaces between components and agents within, an ecos within that ecosystem. So that doesn't exist for, for a large part of it. And then you have to think about, okay, what are the technologies that then plug in and provide different capabilities? I know I'm talking abstract, so let's just put it into concrete examples. Right now, when, I, when we kind of defined data mesh and started building it, there is no prior art, there is no language, there is no concept that I can describe the smallest unit of this architecture. And I can put a boundary around it. Like we call this thing data product, which is the smallest unit of architecture around which you can form teams, like the microservices, let's say, operational world. But that thing actually doesn't exist to start with because that thing it needs to contain for it to be truly a distributed architecture and satisfy analytical use cases. That thing needs to have you know, access to storage of data in a way that scales. It needs to have the computation and an engine that you can inject the computation into it because a lot of analytical use cases you actually run, you want to run your computation on where the data is. It needs to have the APIs and interfaces, right? To serve that polyglot data. It needs to have a way of injecting your policies around it. I want to access the data, but I don't have the access. So give me the, you know, um, uh, the the um, differential privacy mode of access, so I can just do analytics without really seeing the forest, without seeing the trees. So there's just like so much needs to be encapsulated in something that can be a meaningful unit of your architecture that then you can say it's my data product compute, uh, and that thing doesn't exist. So then how do we even talk about the technology when we don't have a language to describe the, the pieces of the architecture that we need to build? Um, so we've got to build a language first. We've got to build a system of divining this world. And I've tried to, we've tried to create that language to some degree. And then we can think about, okay, well, how do I plug in the technology that exists today underneath and above? And we can talk about these layers. And where's the gap? Does that, yeah. does that help? Or did I completely derail this conversation? No, <laughs> I, I think that's a good framework. Um, and, and I think that, that that really elevates this to, I think, the, the way that you want to approach the conversation, which is not to get pulled too much into the, is it this tool or is it that tool? I guess, you know, a, a question for you would be, you know, you mentioned language. It seems like sort of the words that we use and the frameworks that we apply here really help us define sort of, do we need a data mesh and how is it going to kind of play in our organization? You know, I, I've heard the phrase domains, for example, as being a key aspect of how to change your thinking a little bit and, and, and prepare yourself to think more like uh, in the mindset of, of a data mesh. Um, what are some of the key terms would you say and would you start to point us to that, that are the key drivers here? Sure, that's a, that's a really good way of actually unpacking the problem and perhaps describing it. So mm -hmm. domains are a big part of it. And the reason is, and maybe even we can go one level back and abstract away. So if you just, for a moment, every one of us, we can stay quiet for a few seconds and imagine a world in 10 years down the track where everything that we do is somehow augmented with a form of intelligence, recommendations, machine learning models that you know, tell us 
the, the, the you know, augments our understanding of the world and you know, we know what the, the, those could be. And the data that feeds those things can come from every touch point, every place. My data, your data, or the organization data, the medical data can come from anywhere. Then how does this world, like how can we build something that can scale to that? So just take a few seconds and just imagine that world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and up to now, what we've been is just dumping things into a lake. Exactly, dump it somewhere, someone else would define it, would make meaning out of it. So in that world, you have to bring the ownership and the quality and you know all those affordances that makes this data actually useful as close as possible to its source and give it an ownership and then give it all the tools so that it can, without friction, that data being shared and being or being consumed, being discovered, but in a truly decentralized and distributed way. And given where we are in that, in our journey toward that world today, we break up our organizations around boundaries of functions and bounds of domains. And then we have the bounds of trust between the organization. That's how we're organizing our you know, systems at least. So then maybe that the way to break up this big problem to a smaller problem, um, owners and this data as close to the source, we end up with a domain-driven distribution of ownership of the data and then a structure of the data and then everything around it. So the, the, the domains being the bounded context within which we can establish a language, we can perform a function of the business, like I do the order management or customer management or whatever your business pieces, you know, functions are. So, so that's, that's, that's where we are in terms of defining. But if we do that exercise, we sat together and that, that did that creative, drank a few more mushroom coffees and then thought about what that world would look like, we probably actually end up with a different, different model, which is the data, then the ownership comes to the people, the real owners of the data. So my data would be you know, organized around me, I'll probably have some sort of a grid that I can keep my data. So that's, that's, that's takes mm -hmm. the conversation to future, but now we're not there, we are here. So I, I use the domains as a way of decomposing uh, a complex problem into smaller problems. But yeah. This is a great exercise because you, when you start doing it, you realize, oh, I need to have data that comes from this place, from this place, from this place. And then your original kind of your mindset says, well, yeah, we'll just put it in the same lake or whatever, right? It's where all data is. And then you'll realize, wait, that's what we've been doing already for 20, 30 years. That, and we're still not able to accomplish this kind of idea, this future thinking. And the, the, the way you're proposing this, right, to, to think about it by the domains, it really goes back to take this big, gigantic problem and split it into smaller pieces. And I think, honestly, that, that's the way how computer science works, right? You try to, you take this big block and you try to put it into something smaller where the the input you have an output of the output of one black box is the input of the other one and so forth and then you still break it down smaller and smaller i think that i think that's a great way of managing very kind of messy problems and then if you start doing that exercise you end up realizing that you have all these different domains and i think at the end of the day everything should be decentralized now this is something that i i want to i want to I want to get your take on this is you're talking about decentralization almost is everything decentralized or, or what, or is some part centralized? What's the true balance here? Yeah. And I, and I think I always try to be pragmatic and see this as an equilibrium that we constantly have to manage and sustain. And I sometimes feel the centralization and decentralization, in fact, two sides of the same coin. And the way I think about it is that the moment we, 
decentralized in terms of the data ownership around domains and sharing it through your APIs of domains and all of those things, in that moment you realize, oh, now if I go and decentralize all the way down to the, to the bottom of the stack that supports this model, to the bare metal, does it mean that now every one of my teams and every domain builds its own decentralized stack? and hope that they would also talk to each other. And then is that from the cost perspective and just pragmatic reasons, is that possible? Probably not. So then what you end up doing is saying, okay, I'll give a layer of utilities to these domains, the tech stack that they need to build these data products. And likely from their perspective, they're seeing this as a centralized kind of layer of APIs centralized platform. Within that, you can still have decentralization, like you can have different teams looking at different aspects of it. But to have that kind of ease of use of that technology, it's probably a centralized layer of, from the perception of the user, perhaps, a centralized layer of utilities that they can use. And then within that, you can again have decentralization of, you know, okay, I, I do access management, you do encryption, I do storage, you do pipelines, whatever it is that, that sits in there. Right. And it, you know, this is super interesting and it, and it makes me think of some questions that I've, I've gotten some people from some people about, you know, how to get started with, with data mesh. And, and usually we start with domains and we start talking about that and like, what's the right number of them? Like how, what's the balance between, between centralization and decentralization. And a lot of times you start to get into this question of like, well, how premeditated does this need to all be right? Like, do I need to think ahead of time, like, okay, well, let, I, I don't want to have more than 10 domains. So uh, what are those 10 domains going to be? Oh, we better premeditate it right now. Like, like, I, I guess, how do you, how do you think about getting started with this, this kind of approach? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I find those academic exercises amusing and definitely engaging, but are they, you know, are they getting, giving us results? So I would think, I always think about it very pragmatically. Why did we want to decentralize in the first place? Because we wanted to mirror how we are decentralizing our business and other applications. If you haven't, then don't bother with data mesh perhaps. But if you have, and if you have different teams already responsible for different functions within your business, then or capabilities within your business, then just use that as a starting point. And if you don't have yet that platform capabilities to allow have these autonomous teams and you're not there yet, well, maybe there is a point in time that is you go from a centralized model to then a decentralized model because that, that having the economy of scale that every team runs around and does its own thing and have its own data and yet these things are connected and yet these things are monitored and understood at a global level requires the level of maturity of the platform that enables that. Yeah. So then there is the axis of evolution as where you start with the adoption curve of data mesh within your, trans within your organization or the, the curve of um, transformation, where you start looks very different from where you end. And then you have to be pragmatic that where I am today, does it make sense to have 50 of these teams running around? Probably not. I would say this around, I mean, I, 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 well, my thinking has been influenced by seeing that kind of the microservices and, and so on from, um, you know, more than a decade ago now. And this, this was the same conversation. I mean, you have to be this tall to be able to run microservices or run data mesh. And that being this tall is a set of like 
data platform capabilities you need to have in a, in a self-serve fashion. So if you're not this tall, maybe you just start with a smaller number, but, but mirror your business, mirror how your world is being distributed. So, so don't overthink it. Don't try to boil the ocean around it. Like start where it makes sense to do what's natural for your organization and iterate. Yeah, no. so put the foundation so that you can scale out, right? The whole purpose of having these domains so that you don't have to scale up like a lake, you can scale out based on boundaries of trust and boundaries of domains. And, and that's, I think, what you said, mimic the, the, the business and the different kind of domains that are already existing in the, in the business. I think this is key because... I think that's how you want to go start small. It's like, well, let's not oh, let's define what those 10 domains are. Let's just start with one and let's get one started, the one that that is kind of most interested in participating. And then that'll get the other domain involved and so forth. And then we'll start with the marketing start, department or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. You, and, you, and I think at the same time, you'll start building these best practices because at the, at some point you can have, a, you can provide best practices that, that can be fairly generic, but at, at the end of the day, like, these things are part of the culture within one's company about how you deal with data, how you've set up teams, uh, how, how your governance, what type of governance uh, style are you? Are you really focused about risks or are you really taking things about to the next level and kind of being more open about it? I think it really depends on, 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 on the culture. And, and work backward, right? Like, like teams, it's interesting that you mentioned marketing. Marketing is one of the hardest use cases in fact to bring data image to life because when you look at marketing function, they are probably one of the few parts of your organization that want to look at across your product, across your touch points. So they want data from many different domains. So even if you pick one use case from the marketing and work backwards and say, okay, for this particular use case, like on segmentation of my customers or whatever it is that I need to create these machine learning models uh, or reports, yeah. if I work backwards, which domains do I need to have access this, to? This I'm, I'm also working on a marketing project exactly like this. And it's fascinating because they're like, well, I got this thing and then this and, and everything that they look at is touching the customer or touching the product. So they're, they're involved in so much uh, places. I think that's also probably another kind of quick, interesting takeaway here is that the marketing domain is one that it lets you kind of get touch, touch in with different aspects of a business. Yeah, but, but you're not going to like consolidate that data in the marketing department. You're going to be bringing up a mesh that feeds the... Well, this, use cases, so right? this is this is the aspect of kind of of the decentralization and centralization that I that I'm seeing, or, or this is my point of this is my opinion. I want to I want to hear what you think about it. Which is, look, the typical thing. What do you call a customer? Well, you know what? The marketing department has a definition of the customer. Let them define it, right? Customer success has another definition for it. The sales folks have another definition for it. Okay, let every every domain have their own definition of a customer. They'll write it down in English in their natural language. They'll generate data for that. And at the end of the day, they're going to deliver a data product, right? Here's the data product that involves customers. And the people who are consuming it, they're the ones who are going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with this, or they're going to complain about it. And then at a central point, there needs to be a central point who's cataloging these reviews who are cataloging the complaints, the, 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 the recommendations. And, 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 and I think what I always mention is let's enable friction and let's people know that, that they agree, or they don't agree. And then you put them in the same room and you're saying, Hey, look, not only don't we agree what a customer is because we always we always we already know we don't agree what a customer is but here's the actual data that you've generated and here and, and best why you talk to bob and alice because they're the ones who own that stuff so i think a central point you want to be able to go centralize what those core models and and that central mod that centralized kind of 
group at some point are the ones who are going to be paying attention to what the consumers are doing and those complaints that they have. And they're going to take it back to all the domains and let them know about it. That's how I think about it. And it's like this living organism within a company that you're never going to get this perfect and then everybody's going to be happy. It's always going to be changing. That's, that's my perspective. I, I, I do agree with that. Uh, I do think, though, there is a slippery slope we have to be watch out for. And I don't think there is a convention I can point to and say, let's solve it that way. And that slippery slope is that in my domain, in my customer domain, and the marketing domain, customer actually looks different because I look at different aspects of the customer. And order management look at the different aspects of the customer. While I do agree that when these data on the inside, inside of my app, I can just design it however I want because it's just for my app, right? But when the data becomes data on the outside and data on the outside language and data machines like the data products, and particularly data products that like not look at just the current state, they look at the historical state of customer and the orders that they put in, that data on the outside, I do agree that needs to have a mapping context. Be able, we have to have a way to map that internal context to an external context where other people understand. But if the mechanism to do that was, let's define the customer in one place and everybody agree with that, we end up with this bloated definition of the customer that needs to encompass all those different views and nobody actually is gonna use it. So then the mechanism of arriving at that consensus, so I can link the customer from this place to that place and still you know, understand that it's the same thing, but look at it, looks different at differently. Are what are those minimal mechanisms like unification of IDs, having links between those entities, be able to link them? Those are some of those fine grain mechanisms we have to put in place. But we've got to, and I do agree that you need to have a way to just get these things. That's up. a cool. That's an exact one. That like identifiers, and that's something that needs to be managed centralized in, in a central manner because otherwise, I mean, we're going to just end up having more and more identifiers when you're telling people like go reuse this. I mean, the same thing for some types of schemas and models out there. But again, data on the inside and data on the outside. So data mesh tries to, and that's the difference between prior thinking like virtualizations, fabric and so on. It's like, let's be respectful of that autonomy of different domains and applications. The data on the inside is designed, optimized for them to move fast, to do what they need to do. Data on the outside, which is the data product, which is designed to share and get consensus and you know share across and correlate. Um, there might be a gap between the two. The bigger the gap, the, the, the problem we, we end up in a problem because data in, in, inside, data on the inside would turn into data products on the outside, and then those things, you know, feed machine learning model that get embedded into the application. So the moment you come and say, okay, for this customer recommend, I don't know, the uh, next music track they've got to listen to, you've got a disconnection. So you need to keep those things close, but yet need to allow um, them to be different because they're built for a different reason. Like the database, my database for my application to play music is has a very different access model to um, the data on the outside that says, or what, what music um, people have listened to. So there's just some nuanced things in there that we've got to, Mm -hmm. be respectful yeah. of the differences yeah no that's interesting and, and to your comment about like respecting the differences but also making sure that things 
make sense and kind of come together, you know, that makes me think a lot about sort of the governance side of things. Uh, and I know that obviously with sort of the decentralization and balancing that um, with data mesh, there's this sort of umbrella function, the governance function that needs to be effective to, to kind of keep everything all together. Um, you know, how do you think about, you know, the managing of governance and, and sort of, of, and sort of handling that overhead there? Like, like, for example, you know, is uh, uh, how does stewardship play a role? And, you know, how do tools like catalogs play a role? Do you, do you have some, some frameworks that you recommend around that kind of stuff? Sure. I have to caveat that I'm, I'm really no expert in this. And I, and I go back even to think about when I thought about the governance model, which I call, you know, federated population of governance, I felt mm -hmm. that as human beings, we've been struggling and wrestling with this, again, balance between individualism, right? Particularly when you rest, like, I, my domain, I want to do my own thing. I want to move fast. You know, I don't care. Yeah, I know my own data good. or whatever. I don't want right? data, right? Yeah. And then they come in good. Well, great, you're moving fast, but you nobody can use your data. You're breaking everybody else. So that, or I don't know, from Aristotle's times of like difference between common, you know, balance between common good and then individualism. So hmm. I think the mesh governance had to have a, both an incentive model and a um, structure of people and roles that constantly tries to counterbalance these this two polar poles, right? So then uh, the, the thinking behind it is, okay, we've got these data product owners that are, they have local incentives to have, make your data product awesome. What does that mean? A lot of people are using it, data scientists are recommending to their friends, it's easy to discover, all of those good things. But then counterbalance that with global incentives where your data product uh, you're going to get extra bonuses if your data product actually talks to other data products. There are other people on the mesh that are using it, they're connecting into each other. So the network effect, we want the network effect, right? So the incentive model is a dual kind of incentive model that um, the group that governs the mesh is composed, is federated from the folks that have that local responsibility. Uh, and then let's make it real. Like to make this real, we have to just push complexity down and make it automated and make it embedded into every one of these nodes on the mesh. And we've done this with, you know, zero trust architectures and so on in the operational world when we went from like on-prem to cloud and how we thought about, you know, policy execution and configuration um, at each microservice. We can, we can do a similar, we can just take that learning, but then you apply it to the data concerns, right? So then let's put this, everything we agree that it's a global policy that we all adhere to. Let's say how we describe our schemas, for example, what meta language we use to describe our schemas. Let's, let's put that into the platform layer and make that so easy for people to just adopt it. Uh, and then give bonus points for you know, global incentives. If you are up to date with your version of the you know, schema that we all using, then you get extra, extra this, bonus points. This is, I, I love this about the get bonus points. I've, I've, I've called this in the past is that's how, be a good data citizen, right? People are going to like, yeah. if, if you're, if you're part of the mesh, but you don't use the schema, people don't know about it. You're not documenting your stuff. People are not going to go use it. It's like, I'm not going to go use Juan's data. Like that sucks. They have to go, right? Um, well, very, very rarely are people measured on this kind of yeah, stuff, think, right? Like the idea of a KPI yeah. around like, well, how many users are there of your data product and are they happy? Like how many organizations are measuring that? Maybe they should be, right? I think they should be on that stuff. And then thinking about a real, like what you say is like the data product in 
is one thing, but also have it connected with other data products. I think it's important. I think kind of also my background, this is why I think a knowledge graphs and using just graph technology is, 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 is and technology for implementation because you get that for quote unquote for free, be able to go connect your data across things, go able to go share your metadata. So from, from the technology perspective, I think uh, having, for example, catalogs, I see catalogs as, as playing two roles. One is to go a tool for the data engineers to go catalog the existing data, which is not a data product. Those data sets are ugly or unorganized. You don't want to release that, but you need to go understand what that is. And once you've organized it and you've created a data product, that needs to be cataloged so other the consumers can go use the catalog to go search the products, not the underlying data sets that those are the what, what I call the inscrutable, ugly enterprise data. So Hang on, yeah, I, I do agree. Like you, you so the way I, I think about it, and sorry, Tina, I didn't answer your question around data catalog you previously asked as well, is that you know, once you have this distributed, well, nicely playing, nice citizens of the mesh data, data products, and they talk to each other, they, they convert each other's data, they connect because they have relationship with each other in terms of their semantic. But you need to have a, even though I, I, I think very bottom up in terms of the decentralization, like each one of these nodes should be self-sustained, autonomous. You've got to be able to hit an API on this data product and discover it and have all the information about it available right then and there. It's metadata, it's timeliness, schema, all of that. But you still need as a user to have the global view of this mesh, right? You need to have a way of search it, browse it, all of those things. And that's where, again, I refrain the word data catalog because I want us imagine even new words. I want us to imagine that 10 years down the track. So I just call it for now data discoverability or data exploration tool mm -hmm. um, and not use the mechanical. So something that lets you discover and explore. And what you can discover and explore could be a knowledge graph that has emerged from the mesh. So knowledge graph emerges from the mesh is not the mesh itself because the mesh itself is, is data and computation and scheme, all of those things. Um, so it's an execution context as well as the data and then the knowledge graph emerges from it. So you, you wanna browse that knowledge graph and you have to have a window into it. And, and today's window is basically what we've called data catalog, but it may be an inverted model that instead, instead of going, as you said, one, go and look in the data inside and try to like apply a ton of machine learning to figure out what this column names and tables actually meant and what was their relationship, try to invert it on its head and say, well, that's great to have some sort of intelligence at the top to look at this, but let's assume the nodes themselves are self-descriptive and self-discoverable and have some sort of quality submit so somewhere in between where we have thought about data catalogs as these master tools that get all the you know, intelligence out of non-intelligent mm -hmm. beings. <laughs> yeah. But, but by the way, I always say 30 minutes fly by, but this is really Sorry. going so well. And, 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 and actually I think Tim, we're going to, I'm going to do an executive decision here. It's like, let's keep going for a bit. Like, I think this is, I got a couple more things I want to go talk about. Yeah. Maybe a bon bonus section, a bonus section here. So one of the things, first thing of talk, we're talking about definitions is honest, no BS. What is a data product? How do you, how do you describe a data product? Yeah. My answer at this moment is it is a beautiful table that people understand. The columns make sense. You have the, the they have definitions. Like it, it's it's end up being a table that I will still open it up in Power BI and thought and and, and, and that that's one for me. Uh, uh, that's my that's my definition. I want to know here from you. What is a data product? 
I had a lot more hopes for this little data product than just being a table. So if I have, if I want to see this data product grow and be the thing that I had hoped was in fact a new, completely new uh, architectural quantum, a unit of architecture that abstract everything you need to compute and provide access to a domain data with ability to also execute policies on it. So it's a new abstraction that maybe when you went three level down APIs, you actually get to a nice, beautifully designed table, but to create that table, you need computation. You need those transformations to actually create that table. To serve that table in many modes of access, table is just one mode of access. Um, yeah. different modes of access. You need APIs and projections and transformations that do that. To actually get to that table with the right access control and make sure you have access to that table, you need to have you know, policy engines right next to it to, to do it. So the container that I put around all of this, which is compute policy data as one unit of architecture that now I can really put my hands on my heart and say, this is an autonomous unit right? And it, you can have many of these things and they connect to each other, then it becomes more than just a table. But that beautiful table that you described has to be somewhere in there, right? It's, it's all about data anyway. Yeah. Uh, but it, we need a new, and that's, that's really hard to convey because we well, just don't have it. We have exactly. That, that, that's the thing that I <laughs> struggled with. And, and, and at the end, I was like, yeah, it's, it, it kind of seems like it's it's underwhelming. It's like all of this, and I'm just getting a table which is still in Excel. It's like, yeah, but I mean, think about it. It's it for me. It's like look at the column. The column has a name that you understand. It has a description. The data underneath it is well defined. It should be clean about it. You know where it comes from, the exact lineage. If you don't like it, you don't. You know who to co complain to. You know who's responsible for that. I mean, all of these are the things that are go around treating data as a product. And 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 yes, even though in the simplest term it looks like a table, but there's much more around that. And and I think that we need to convey and physically show it to people. And that's yeah. what I have right now to show. So. That, that that's one of the things that that, I'm, that, I've, that I've been thinking a lot about um and and um and, and the other thing that we were chatting about is you you we were slacking earlier today you said we have a choice to reimagine or rebrand and i really love that because it's like let there's a choice of a path of change instead of just putting a fresh coat of coat of paint over what we've always done and i think that's really what we need to start thinking about something very very different and, and i think that's part of the message here it's like let's stop Let's sit down, think about what we've been doing for so long. Think about what the life should be. There's this big gap. Let's not kind of put lipstick on a pig here. <laughs> I think that's yeah, not not just uh, you know, oh, data fabric's not cool anymore. Data mesh is the cool thing. Right. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll say mesh now instead. Like <laughs> eh, wrong. Well, I think this is a Get good segment <laughs> to this new. So, uh, I'll give us an idea of of a, of a new segment we're going to go do here. It's called the the honest no BS lightning round. So we got. We prepared five questions, and the questions are yes and no answers, and we'll give you a, a, a small amount of time to support your answer. So we'll, we'll, we got five questions here. So kick off. Question number one, is a data fabric a data mesh? No, but they're complementary. If you think about data fabric, when it was created by NetApps folks and what problem they tried to solve. They tried to solve access to data wherever it is and be able to integrate it. And that was a point that people were going to the cloud. So they had to solve the problem of hybrid. 
Um, I've seen data fabric implementations that is still have at the end of the line, they get this data extracted from all sorts of databases placed everywhere, but at the end of the line, they dump it into a lake or a warehouse to actually run analytics on it. Um, so I think they're complementary. I think fabric can be in the bottom layer of this stack, your bare metal layer of this stack, and then look at it logically with a new set of kind of technologies as um, a mesh overlay that. I think there are synergies and they complement, but they're not the same thing. I like that. So for everyone listening, you can do both. It's not one or the other. Um, all right. Question number two is, is data mesh an architecture? Yes and no. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, it definitely an architecture. So this is definitely uh, an architecture. But um, as people who are familiar with Conway's law, architectures and organizational structures, very tightly coupled, you can just talk without the others. So it does have an organizational transformation um, aspect to it. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, and it, it talks about both. So it's hard to say it's just an architecture, but architecture is a big part of it. All right. Is a data product a data service? Hmm. Um, you can imagine it that way, but that's that's the way that the problem with that model is that we're again imagining the world based on what we've known, and that falls apart very quickly. So you can go today and build a service. So what is a service? I think about it back in the I don't know as as a Unix process, or these days more cooler, it's a container. Uh, but it's an execution context, right? It's, it's well-rounded execution context, and that's all it is. So you can implement it as a service, but that model falls apart very quickly when you think about your big data processing workloads and actually what it takes to run them. And then you can think about all those cross-functional capabilities that needs to be a sidecar or decorate this service. So it's a need to have attachments. So then suddenly it becomes a satellite thing that there is a service somewhere, but also all these satellites running around it. Um, so I, I think data service could be a mechanical implementation, but a narrow implementation, narrow in terms of just some of the capabilities that we want to encapsulate by data product uh, is, can be encapsulated in it. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I like that answer there. Um, okay. Question number four, I have a warehouse and I'm building data products in it. Am I doing data mesh? <laughs> <laughs> we might be all living in parallel universes. So maybe in a parallel universe, data mesh could be a table in a warehouse. Uh, in the universe I've been in, <laughs> it doesn't because I imagine really data as a product which has a heartbeat in it. It's still live, it's still processing data. It's still um, really is autonomous. I can, I can move it anywhere. It does not bound and link tightly to the rest of the data. It doesn't disturb everybody else if I change something. Um, to get really to that level of autonomy and bring execution into the same context. So execution is not an outside object, like the pipeline outside of the, you know, the data itself, the separation of the pipeline and the data is, it doesn't exist in, in the data mesh, it's all one mm -hmm. unit. Uh, then uh, you find out that uh, you might be very thinking very in a limited way. However, uh, if that's all you have and you have a warehouse, good for you to start decoupling that and thinking about it in domain, but you will find that your technology stops you very quickly to take that ambitious plan of decoupling um, further. Final one. Do spreadsheets disappear in a data mesh? No. Spreadsheets are 
wonderful little tools that we humans like. Don't put your spreadsheets in production, but if you just want to do exploration, I think there are, there are wonderful tools and um, data mesh should allow. And in fact, the reason uh, the nodes on the mesh, nodes on the mesh are shareable data, right? The reason the thinking is, let's give a native access to the users that this wonderful spectrum of analysts to scientists that we have, the whole purpose of that is that someone can connect his or her spreadsheet to a port, there's a language around data product output port that allows them to get their data into a spreadsheet and play with it in their in their tooling. So uh, that goes back to where it's a way we've gone full circle. So the, the technology ecosystem that the mesh enables should allow connecting a, a spreadsheet to one or many data products and be able to get to data into it. Would the spreadsheet be a component of a data product? I don't think so. I think that it's just a tool that you're using to talk to the data products and get data out of them. Well, this this has been a fantastic discussion. I think we need to go. I need to go back and listen to this myself many times. Uh, so we always like to close with our takeaways. So our our TTT Tim, take us away with your takeaways. <laughs> All right, taking away on some takeaways. So. Big takeaway, data mesh is not a thing. It is not something you buy and it's not just an architecture. Um, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an approach and it's, uh, you know, I like your vision statement of like, where do we want to be in five or 10 years? You know, it's, it's, it's a vision for a better future around our data and a path to get there. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I like that we're talking about this path and we're trying to figure out the right way to go down that path. I like that you talk about the autonomous unit being around compute and policy and data and thinking about how those things work together and thinking about how that fits into the different components and sort of the ways that the data mesh connects together. Um, and then you made a statement today where you said you want to push the complexity down. And, and I think that's a really interesting concept. And I think as people start to learn about data mesh, one of the things they start to get confused about is they're like, oh, this sounds complicated. It sounds overly ambitious. It sounds like I need a bunch of people power to manage my data mesh. And I think the interesting insight there is like, well, look at like, you know, what we're doing around automation, look at what we're doing around software best practices and CI CD and streaming architecture and things like that. There are ways to make this approach be less complex and you have to do it that way if you're going to make it sane. And my takeaways, when the, the whole kind of idea of thinking about that ideal world and going back from that, right? And break the problem to smaller pieces. And the result is, hey, you're going to move back to the original sources of your domains and have that ownership. Um, we talked about marketing. I think that's interesting We had to go start. Like go think about the marketing domain because they touch so many parts of the business, right? I think that's, that's excellent. And you just said nodes, are, nodes on the mesh are shareable data. And you want to make your data product awesome. I think there's still kind of I'll, I'll, I'll honest here is that I think there's still ambiguity about what a data product is. I, I gave my definition. I think yours is still a bit abstract, to be honest, but we got to go figure it out. Um, but there's incentives that need to be around this, right? You want people to make sure that they use a data product. You want to get, and how do we incentivize? What are those KPIs behind, behind that? And you want to bonus people about it and bonus a product. If this data product is connected to more of the products, that's great. You should be bonus for, for, for that. Finally, you said data has a heartbeat and it always continues to live. I, I, I think that that's a beautiful way of calling it. I like that better than data has gravity. We need some new <laughs> analogies now, you know? <laughs> well, Shabakta, we always like to close with two questions for you. One, what's your advice? Open, broad-ended about anything. And second, who should we invite next? 
Oh, okay. So advice, um, just be critical. Don't take my word for it. Poke holes at it. Like this is this is an open invitation to reimagining a distributed, decentralized world around data. So just be critical of things you hear, and yeah, let's 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 work on it together. Um, who do you I who should we invite? Uh, oh, this is a really hard one. There are a lot of good people out there. I, I'm gonna. I don't know. I, I feel like I should consult these people before call their names out. Oh no worries. We don't everybody just calls them out here. It's yeah, fine. it's just public shaming. It's just the it's just the policy oh. we do here. Well, I, I have a coach and someone I collaborate with who hired me out of university 25 years ago. <laughs> and uh, at the moment I think he's the VP of data infrastructure at um, Intuit. Um, a good friend of mine. I and he's very quiet, but he's a very wise man. Hmm. Uh, he's seen a lot. So Mamad Zade, I would I would <laughs> I would like to hear him talk, but I have not consulted him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, what we will do is that you will send him this podcast and then he will hear his name. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for this time. And uh, I truly, truly appreciate it. This is super exciting. And to wrap up, just uh, don't forget for the Knowledge Graph conference, uh, go get your tickets, knowledgegraph.tech, a 10% discount at CC with CCKGC. And we'll have a special edition of Catalog and Cocktails. We're going to be doing this again. But now, in addition to Samak, we'll have Teresa Tung and JU and Mohammed Osser. Uh, and then next week, uh, it's Data Ops with Chris Berg from Data Kitchen, one of the authors of the Data Ops Manifesto. So that should be really, really cool. And with that, cheers, everyone. Thank you so Thank much. You, that was amazing. Thank you. This is great. We appreciate it. <laughs>